Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia welcomes you to our weekly time of worship and study of God's Word with Pastor Jesse Wagoner. So sit back, relax, and get comfortable, because when you're here, you're home. Well, I conducted a survey this week. I, I, for, I surveyed uh, those who were here for our prayer gathering Wednesday, so thank you for participating in that. I surveyed my life group on Wednesday, and then I put it online. Because I was making a video to introduce this series, some of you may have seen it, and I said, you know, you think about these things we celebrate at Christmas, the, the kind of the sentimental things of Christmas, and I realized, I thought, I have never been in a one-horse open sleigh with jingle bells on it. I have never actually seen chestnuts roasting by an open fire in my life. So I thought, is it just me? Am I just like the, the Christmas dud guy that, you know, that, doesn't, that misses all those kind of things? So I started a survey ask you, 135 people responded either in person or online, and I found out a few of you have had the full Christmas experience. There was 15 of you that said you'd actually ridden in a one-horse open sleigh, so whoever you are, I salute you for having that pristine Christmas experience. Uh, there was only 10 of you that said you'd actually seen chestnuts roasting on an open fire, and I had some people inform me more about chestnuts and, and trees and all that kind of stuff that I really wanted to know. But, uh, but anyway, uh, not all of us have Christmas. And I also understand at Christmas time, not everybody experiences this as a joyful experience. There are some folks that, that avoid this as far as their emotional involvement because they have some bad memories. Or maybe there's some hurt, maybe there's some loss, maybe there's someone that used to be in your life and is no longer there. Uh, maybe there's some trauma or from the childhood or whatever it is, or maybe just you're going through a difficult time. But I want to assure you that the sentimentality of Christmas, enjoy it. Enjoy it thoroughly. But also, as we come to the Word of God today, we realize that there is this part that we're just going to call it the sacred. Those things of the Spirit, those things that connect us to God. And the great news is, all of us, every last one of us, can participate in the sacredness of what God has accomplished. And I'm going to just take you down the page, if you have your Bible open at Luke chapter 2. We're just going to talk about joy to the world. That's our, our subject for this month. And uh, today I want to just talk about a Savior is born. Okay? So in, you know this passage very well. You can, probably most of us could pretty much quote it from heart, uh, from, our, from our minds. But I just want to look at verse 11. Because in verse 11, verse 10 and 11 and, uh, and 12... An angel speaks to the shepherds. And you have to understand these angels had come from God himself with a message directed by God himself. So this message is God's first commentary on what has just happened in Bethlehem. This is his statement to us. And it says, I just want to read verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. City of David got that. We know the one was born, got that. But I want you to look at this last phrase. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Those terms, as much as anything in this statement of God to man, tells us the sacred message of the cross, of Christmas, which leads to the cross and redemption and heaven and everything else that this book contains. So I just want to look at these kind of terms, and particularly these three that you see in the text in front of us. And the question is, what would they have meant? What would, how would the, the shepherds that are out there watching their flock that night, and suddenly they see angels and all that, 
And of course, they make their way to Bethlehem and they find Jesus laying in a manger and all that. How would they have reacted to these terms? What would it have meant to them? So I want to go back into the Old Testament and just kind of explore those terms. And hopefully as we do, it's going to unfold and unpackage for us a beautiful portrait of what God wants to say to us about the sacredness of Christ's coming. So we are done for the time being with Luke chapter 2. And I want you to make your way to Isaiah 45. I'll give you just the, the quickest of, of uh, preparation to get into Isaiah 45. First of all, Isaiah is 66 books, long book, 66 chapters in this book, I should say. It's a long book, covers a lot of territory. Basically, chapters 1 through 39, predominantly, uh, Renee just quoted from an earlier chapter in Isaiah, but predominantly, it's about the coming judgment upon God's people because of their disobedience. In chapter 40, the tone predominantly shifts to, now let me encourage you about what God is going to do to be redemptive, to be gracious, to be loving to his people. And in verses 14 through 25 of chapter 45 of Isaiah, God speaks, and this is, this is his statement about the Savior, about him saving. And you'll see that just kind of plugged into this text in front of you today. And this is going to help us understand what does it mean that a Savior is born? There's really four concepts that are very simple but extremely profound that you and I need to just kind of process into our thinking and into our hearts today, all right? So chapter 45. It begins in verse 14. Thus says the Lord, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Cush and of the Sabians, men of stature, shall come, shall come over to you and they shall be yours. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Those were all their enemies. Those are the ones in the first 39 chapters, he says, are going to come and they're going to destroy you and defeat you. But here he says they're going to come over and they shall walk behind you. They shall come over in chains. They shall bow down to you. They will make supplication to you saying, surely God is in you and there is no other. There is no other God. That's a change of pace. Looking forward to when he's accomplishing his work, ultimately with Israel, he's saying, all those enemies that you are fearful of now, they're going to be pleading for mercy from you. Because they know that your God is the one true God. Your God is the God. And then in verse 15 he says this. Truly you are God who hides yourself, O God of Israel. Last two words of 15. The Savior. There's the first, words that, first word that touches on the main theme of this announcement by God. And by the way. It becomes very personal. God's going to be speaking for the most part in this text in the first person. By the way, it's one of the unique things about Isaiah. There's all these statements from God where he speaks directly. It's not a prophet saying, God said this. It's God saying this. And you have that in his context. So he says here in 15, Truly you are God who hides yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. What does hiding himself and Savior have to do with each other? Well, first of all, it tells us in the end of that, this is the, just a very simple concept is, there is a Savior. There is a Savior. There is one, and God is the one who is the Savior. God has to do the saving. This is not an earth project. This is not a do-it-yourself project. This is not a human project. This is not something we can change ourselves. We need a Savior from outside, and that's God himself. We know in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, that comes to be our Savior. He says, but he says, you're a God who hides yourself. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think you and I can verify that with the eyes that you have, 
the, the visual apparatus you have, we don't see God in front of us. We believe in faith that he is with us, that he exists, that he has done things. And, and our faith is growing. Our faith continues to grow and our confidence in that. But we don't see him. And here's the reality. He is unseen but present. He is unseen but present. The fact of the matter is we have a Savior. He is available. There's no supply chain problem between God delivering salvation from heaven to earth. He accomplished all of that. He overcame his enemies. He accomplished that in the person of Jesus Christ. With that in mind, he says to us, there's a Savior. Now, you and I know that, but I want just to note that as a reality and also to say this because there might be someone here this morning that struggles with belief in, is there really a Savior? Do I really need to be saved? What about this message of Christianity? What about this gospel that we talk about and we preach about and we celebrate about and all those sorts of things. Is this real? Is this legitimate? Is this, does this make any cognitive, logical sense in a modern, sophisticated, well-educated, highly technical society? Or is it just some remnant from our fearful myths of the past? Unseen, but a savior. I just want to say to you, friends, I want you to do this. And I want you, by the way, we're going to make some commitments today. This one's going to have two because I'm speaking to two different audiences. But commitment number one, will you commit to do this to understand where you are with God? Open your heart to, to understand what the Bible says and to be willing, brave enough, courageous enough, have the nerve enough to say, Lord, I want to find out where I stand before you. Are we okay? What, does something need to change? What do I need to do? And we would like to insert into that questions that you may have the truth that comes from the pages of the Word of God. Well, I'm not sure it is the Word of God. Why don't you read it and at least know what it says and contemplate its message? Why don't you fully investigate it before you reach final judgment? And here's basically what the Word of God says for you. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, and that's eternal death for all of us in eternal judgment separated from the presence of God. For us who know him, he promises us eternal life because our sins were laid on Jesus when he died on the cross. And all that we need to do is to believe that, accept that in faith. So if that's an open question, we, maybe that would be a good way to celebrate Christmas. You know, all the stuff's going on around you. You might as well try to figure out what it is. Make a commitment to say, I want to understand where you are with God. And maybe just pray and ask him to open your heart. Maybe have a conversation with one of us or a Christian friend or at least be willing to investigate the claims of Scripture. And I would encourage you, if you want a good starting point, find the Gospel of John and start reading through it. It won't take you all that long. But the reason that we point you to John is because that's the, person, the, excuse me, the purpose for which John wrote that Gospel story of Jesus. He wrote these things that you would believe. He wants to encourage your belief. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, there is a Savior. Well, what, what do we want to do? I want you to make a commitment to do this sometime this month. I want you to commit to revisiting your salvation. Well, what do you mean? Revis you have to get saved again? No, 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 no. I just want you to go back and enjoy thinking again about the process that God went through to bring you to him being your Savior. Well, that was a long time ago. I was a little child, whatever. Just, that's all right. Just go back. And then part of that revisiting, reflect on what a difference he's made in your life, however long ago that was. It might be weeks. It might be months. It might be years. It might be decades. 
But just go back to the reality of salvation. Because it says in Scripture, Truly you are God who hides yourself. We don't see Him, but this is true. O God of Israel, the Savior. All these songs that we sing, all this celebrating that we do, all these activities that we're involved in, church and otherwise, enjoy the sentimental. But you need to invest in the reality of the spiritual and the sacred. And just get back to that salvation. Verse 16 says this, They shall be ashamed and disgraced, all of them. They shall go in confusion together, who are makers of idols. That's all those people we mentioned in verses 14, in verse 14, I should say, verse 17. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. By the way, only God can use those kind of terms. Everlasting. Ever and ever. Those are God terms really exclusively. So secondly, there will always be a Savior. There will always be a Savior. Now, don't confuse because I'm trying to compress things. So don't let the compression give you some misunderstanding. That, is not always gonna, that does not mean there's always going to be an opportunity for people to be saved. It's pointed out a man wants to die after this, the judgment. So you have this lifetime to believe, okay? But what I'm saying is if you are one of his children, that status is not going to change. That's what he says with Israel. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. It's going to continue forever and ever. You ever think about this? How about this recently? Adam and Eve fall into sin, right? All their descendants are going to be sinners, including us. The thing that's going to remedy sin is Jesus dying on a cross and our belief in that. Why does not the fall of man happen and immediately the cross happens? Why do we have this long delay? Why do we have all the, why do we have all the, all the books of the Old Testament until the New Testament arrives? Why do we have all this story of Israel? Why do we have all this story of all their sin and defection and God redeeming them and restoring them and back and forth? Why do we have all of that story? He promised Israel and God has his own purposes. I'm not going to pretend that I know all the purposes of God on any particular issue. But I suspect this is true. If Israel can never stray so far that they're outside of the grace of God, you and I can't stray so far that we're outside of the grace of God. Now, let me be, let me be clear on this. We should live, that's not, an, that's not a, a license to sin. And by the way, I also believe this, and I've experienced it. I suspect you have too. If you get out of line, God has plenty of mechanisms and plenty of means and plenty of methodologies to get you back in line, and it ain't fun. It isn't pleasant. But you know what? When you, we discipline our own children, we do it because we love them, not because we have disdain for them. And God loves you. And I know there's the person that just will reject your faith. I know there's a, a person that I've known for a long period of time, believer in the Lord, kind of a nationally known kind of person, and just renounce their faith. I don't believe in that stuff anymore. And he's like, I don't understand that. What is it? Were they saved? Were they lost? There's a lot of questions I have. But you know what? When I cast my eyes on a verse like the 17th verse of Isaiah 45, it tells me this. God's able to save to the uttermost. And if we get out of line, he can get us back in. And we need to cooperate with his program in our lives. But I just believe that his grace, and I think Israel is the illustration of that. I know sometimes we're reluctant to even say that because, well, people will do anything they want. No, if you understand grace, you understand pardon, you understand anything about forgiveness, 
our appreciation alone should be that which should motivate us to live differently, even in our continued struggle with sin. We're busy, we got all the things and we, we're involved in, and this is where our emotions get us in trouble. This is where our, our feelings get us in trouble. Sometimes we feel like, I've got to prove something. I've got to do something for the Lord. I've got to do this. I've got to make up for that. Well, God does want us to serve Him, but He wants us to serve Him out of love. He wants us to serve Him in the power in which He invests in us. The opportunities, whether He gives them or withholds them, whatever He allows us to do, we do it for Him. What a great truth that is. But just, you're worried about stuff, you're kind of worked up about stuff, just rest. Just rest. Because why? You have a Savior that's not going anywhere. You have a God that's not going anywhere. Jesus said it. It's quoted from his own lips by the writer of Hebrews. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I think that is in redemptive grace. So rest in him. Number three, there always has been a Savior. This is verse 21. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. I feel like I should just shout that rather than just reading with a little bit of energy. God says, I'm it. I'm God. That's all there is. No others. You have no others. There's no other options. And by the way, because of our sinfulness, if God in the person of Jesus Christ is not the Savior, then there's no alternative. There is no plan B. There's nothing else that's going to work. We're just lost for eternity. We really are. So he says this. Now notice this phrase he uses. Who has declared this from ancient time? Question mark. Who's told it from that time? Who's been telling this all along? Who's had this plan all along? Whose design has this been all along that we celebrate that for unto you is born this day in the city of David? A Savior. Who's had that in mind all along from ancient times? It's in the verse. Have not I, the Lord? I love how God's speaking in the first person here. He's speaking to us directly. Have not I, the Lord? Of course he has. And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. He repeats that. Actually, other times in this text as well, the greater text of Isaiah 45. So there has always been a Savior. This has always been His plan. Now, I got to tell you, I, 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 was, I was doing some study last night, just doing a little bit of review, and I was looking something up, and actually I was checking, I was checking the, the roasting chestnuts and sleigh ride survey one more time because I wanted to give you the correct stats. And I went to Twitter where it also put this quote, and I saw this thing come up, and someone put this post on there about trying to figure out God's heart and mind and things, and then just all the, the thread just went on for, I don't know if this is the proper digital way to say it, it just went on for miles. You're just, you're just scrolling, scrolling, so people arguing back and forth, and just like, I just wanted to say, you people on my screen, you don't know as much as you think you do. That's what I wanted to say. But I didn't put a mean tweet on there, so I just left that alone, okay? I just left that alone. So i got to say, there's a lot of things I don't know about God's purposes and how we interact with that and will. I think both of those things are always true all at the same time, and we always want to say it's either or. In God, it's a great big both and. But it is His purpose to save. It is His purpose to be the Savior. His purpose to call men to Himself. And I take it that invitation is open to anyone 
but that's his purpose. And how that meshes together, I don't know, but I do know this. This has been the plan all along. This is not an afterthought. This is not a, oh, we tried A, we tried B, we tried C. Let's try something else. No, this has always been the plan to bring glory to himself. And part of his plan is to bring Israel back to himself. That's the reason it was announced to shepherds, because Jesus was the Lamb of God. There's some symbolism there. That's the reason he called the wise men who came actually probably much later. You might want to move the wise men over on the other side in your nativity scene because they really weren't there the night that Jesus was arrived. It would have been awful crowded there around the manger if they all were there one time. But anyway, it's part of the Christmas story. and we, we, we put it together thematically that way because he was the Lamb of God and also would rule as the King of all things. Really, the first depiction is his first coming. The second depiction is his coming again. And we live in that great space in between. But part of his plan for the church was to bring us together. To bring us together. To be together. You're the great group of people this morning, by the way. You're the great group of people this morning. You're, you're, you're with some people that are real trophies of God's grace. Everyone's a trophy of God's grace. But there's some interesting stories, interesting twists and turns, interesting different kind of people, different talents, different stories in life, different abilities, different placement. But you know what? Before God created the foundations of the world, he knew on this Sunday in December you'd be sitting in the seat you're sitting in. And he wants you to be part of his church. He wants to be part of the family. And you are part of the family, but he wants us to do this. And this is commitment number three. Make this commitment. Commit to taking one more step toward community. It's a great time to do it. Maybe it's just as simple as, you know what, and I, I'm, I've, tried to, I've done this in years past. I really want to make a commitment to do it this year. If I get a Christmas card or a message from somebody that's, that I know but I'm not close to, I just try to pick up my phone and call them right then. I'm not real good at My handwriting doesn't work real well on Christmas cards, okay? It's that bad. But uh, just to call them up, just to keep some connection to, especially believers in the Lord, because I want to call them and encourage them. Maybe, it's just, maybe you want to scroll through your contact list on your phone. Who have I not talked to in a while? And I can call and I can connect with that person. Maybe I can connect with somebody in the body of Christ. You know, there's that couple, that person, that individual that I don't know very well. How can I get to know them? How can I reach out to them and encourage them? And probably in the process be encouraged in, in reverse. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a get-together. Maybe you go out for coffee. Maybe you get together for a meal. Maybe invite them over for some of those Christmas goodies that you shouldn't eat too many of anyway. But take one step toward community. Maybe it's getting involved in a life group. Maybe it's getting involved in the activities of the church. Maybe it's serving on the, for that, that Christmas toy shop coming up mid-month. It's a great time of fellowship. But just say, Lord, somewhere in this month, I want to make a commitment. You pray, that, pray over this. I want to make a commitment to just take one more step toward community. Go to 22. Very famous verse in Isaiah. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Some of you know of the, the great Baptist preacher of well over a century ago by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And he's known as one of the great preachers of, of our history. And this was the verse that was preached that God convicted him and brought him to Christ. Look. And notice what this word says. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, 
the word is going out, out of my mouth in righteousness, and, you, and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall, be, shall take an oath. He will say, Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed, and who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be, shall be justified and shall glory. Quite a statement. Basically, it goes back to this reality that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Kind of sounds like a verse we find over in Philippians chapter 2, doesn't it? But this reality that this is the truth. There's a Savior for all. There's a Savior for all. That doesn't mean all will be saved, but there's a Savior that's available to all. Doesn't matter your language. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Doesn't matter anything about you genetically. Doesn't matter about your liabilities or your assets. It doesn't matter about your story that brought you to this point. There's a Savior that's available to all. It's available to all. Is his desire to redeem. Now, it says to the end of the earth. I looked this up. Because I can do that in, the, in today's world. That Jerusalem is exactly from Charleston, West Virginia, 6,130 miles. It might take a few more miles to get there because you probably won't go in a straight line. But to the ends, of, we are the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. This, this great expanse between where these words were said to this man, this prophet by the name of Isaiah, as God speaks through him to us. Salvation has come even all to this, the ends of the earth. And the reality is, God wants us to keep sharing that message. Here's your commitment. You commit to taking one act of outreach. Commit to one act of outreach this month. It could be as simple as an invitation to come and be involved in those things on that list. Maybe you want to write out somewhere in your Christmas card or something you put online your story. Maybe you could answer this question somehow publicly. Why I celebrate Christmas? And it's a great opportunity to talk about your faith. But you know what? You can't do that one here. You can't do that one here. Uh, back in November, early November, we were having a deacon trustees meeting. It was gonna, we were going to get together at 6.30. And uh, we were going to work on budget stuff and all that sort of thing. And Joe had just left, and I was the only one in the building. I was going to stay through. And, uh, was, you know, so I was here. So I just had been upstairs doing some things. So I had my cell phone laying down. I had my keys laying there on the table. And I just came down. It was one of those days i have been dreary all day. And suddenly I looked out those glass doors, and it was bright and shiny sun. And we'd done some work over here on the corner of the building I hadn't seen. I thought, I'll just take a walk around the building and go see that because we're going to talk about that as a celebration point in our meeting later on. So I went out the door. And as soon as I went out the door, door shut. Click. I have no phone, no keys. No one to bang on the door to let me back in. I couldn't even call Joe because I just look him up in my contacts. I don't know what his phone number is. So if I even borrowed a phone from across the street, who do you want to call? I, I can't, can't get him. I knew my wife was involved, I think, in piano lessons at that time. I could have called her to call Joe. But, so I'm locked out, and I think, okay, what am I going to do? He's going to be back sometime. So I come around, and I'm sitting on the steps here. I'm locked out of church. It wasn't my plan. I'm sitting there. This guy comes riding up on a bicycle and says, are you the pastor? I don't know what, I don't know, do I look sick or something? I don't know why, I don't know why you, you picked me out as a pastor. I said, well, yes, I am. And he starts talking. I said, before this conversation's over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to talk to this kid, this kid about the Lord. I did my best. He was a talker. He was a chatty one. So it was really, I mean, it's kind of like get the shoehorn. Kind of just, uh, Jesus, uh, gospel. Uh. 
So we kind of got through. And before he's done, another guy comes walking, around, walking up to him and up to us. And he says, are you the pastor? I'm like, I should get locked out more often. He was a little harder to talk to because he was, he was wanting to get somewhere. So. And to me, it was like, okay, here's the picture. Jess, are you so dense that you need these kind of pictures? I guess so. You know what? We've got to get out of this place to share the truth that there's a Savior and a Savior for all. You maybe know a person that loves music. Invite them to that cantata program. Maybe you got a little, got some little kids, and they're really rambunctious and full of energy. Bring them Wednesday night, all right? We will, we will burn all the energy out of them, okay? We will do that. And we'll share Jesus with them at the same time. One act of outreach. I love this chapter. I wish I had time to delve into it more in detail. I want to read verse 22 again as we summarize. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. There is a Savior. There's always been a Savior. There always will be a Savior. And there's a Savior that's available to all. It's up to us to walk out these doors and find somebody that we can tell about our Lord. Thank you for joining us for this time of worship and study brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia. If you are in the Charleston area, we would love for you to worship with us in person. For service times and more information, visit our website, calvarywv.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.